Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Nick, what's happening, my man? Hey, Brad. Another intro. Same day. <laughs> <laughs> Same day. One more intro. Right now we have Arya. And why did you choose this as a unique entry into the catalog of the detox files? This is another player on my contracted coaching for profits team. Uh, he was struggling for a while. He had a, a home life that sort of went downhill while on contract. His parents became less and less supportive of, of his career. And uh, he was really struggling with the frustrations of having to move away for a certain amount of time and then come back home because he didn't have enough money to basically establish permanent autonomy. And so we tracked his pattern for a while and it was clear to us that when this kid is away from home and set up in a stable environment, he performs very well. And when he goes back home, all the old patterns creep in and self-sabotage is, is evident. So this consult starts off at a, at a stage in his pattern where he's about to have to move back home again. He just had a, a one-month stint in Greece where he was able to get hooked up with a friend from our MTT stable. And he, he really loved it there and he did well there. And now that time at that residence is coming to a close and he's about to head back to London to live with the, the notorious parents. So what we focus on is how is this pattern perpetuating like it is and how do we get out? And uh, there's a really nice progression of lethally injecting hard love logic as to what's really going on here and the excuses that are being made that, that allow this pattern to, to continue. And then um, eventually moving towards a resourceful attempt at a resolution. But I, I really think that this one would not have been possible if the trust levels were not established. And there's a lot of context behind that. Like I've known this kid a while. So I, I feel like I've gained trust just through the reps of, of being there for him in the past and supporting him through these, these cycles that he goes through. But ultimately I think it comes down to this, this quote. I tweeted this the other day. I only tweet when I'm drunk now. I realized by the <laughs> way, I just, just realized that, but uh, I did like some, <laughs> I think I called it 13 thoughts from 2020. That was the tweet, which is just like, completely arbitrary number of thoughts and it's just a testament to me being drunk enough not to care if it's neat um but one of those was never give advice until someone knows that you care first and i think it's so huge because we have a tendency to think that the right logic will penetrate and have an impact but this is not how people are experiencing reality and if we actually start to embody higher levels of empathy we can see that the more important thing is that someone feels like you have a genuine interest in their safety before you try to deliver uncomfortable wisdom 
that is going to require that they make significantly uncomfortable life changes if they were to adopt or integrate that suggestion. So I think this is not something that I could have done in a free consult. And I was grateful that I had the background trust with this player to be able to go to this level. Cause you can hear me actually uh, in the early stage where I deliberate going down this channel of, are we going to have a very truthful combo here? Or are we going to beat around this and allow this thing to just this elephant in the room to continue? So you, you hear me in real time, actually deliberating whether or not I have what I'm doing there actually is as intuitively as I possibly can. I'm trying to sense into whether I have the proper trust levels to be able to say what I'm about to say. It, it stood out to me as a hard truth, an honest conversation. I've noticed this with my students as well. The more impact that I can have, it's directly related to how much they trust me and how much I care about their poker career and about their growth. And like you just said, you can't have this conversation with somebody you don't have high levels of trust with, which is one of the reasons why it makes this an awesome detox files episode. And number two, if you're listening right now and you want to learn how to be more resourceful in your own life, or maybe escape some loops where you feel stuck, like there are no other options. This episode is just going to give you some amazing tools for navigating these problems that you experience in your own life. Yeah, it's definitely a huge upgrade from this one is how fast I was able to step back from the situation that seems so impossible to him. How do I solve this problem, this logistical problem of not having enough money to move out of the house? And uh, what we get to is a resourceful plan that uh, we put into effect just to try to get him reaching out to his network a bit more and no guarantees, but um, I guess we'll, we'll wait for the reveal at the end to let them know how it turned out uh, because we do convince him to do something pretty vulnerable uh, and pretty daring on this call. At least it was way outside of his comfort zone. So I'll see you for the outro and, and we'll give you the big reveal. Here's the thing. I wanted this conversation to end with having like a either a permanent solution or a plan that will finish at a permanent solution because I'm fed up of doing this talking with you like once a month trying to figure out like where the next place I can like get shelter like temporarily for because like the moving around is not going to help like stability at all. So I made it clear in my post on, on the Unlimited group. I said something like, if I have somewhere between like three to 4K in my account, then I'm fully set. Because at that point, I have enough money that I can cover my rent and expenses enough for enough months that uh, I won't have the financial burden uh, like pressuring me in-game. Provided that I'm in a good environment, that will allow me to get to 200 and L. Once I get to 200 and L and start winning some buy-ins, like then I'm adding enough money into my life role that money now becomes a non-issue, and I'm basically out of the I'm out of the trap of not really having anywhere to go. Let's focus so, there. I, I really feel like this 
has a ton of potential to take a slightly different angle than you might perceive. And I'm, I'm just going to highlight the two angles. Okay. Yours seems to be, I want to get out of this trap and I'm fed up with the constant moving. And I believe that to be the reason why I'm still oscillating on the edge of success. And that may be true. So let's hold it as a valid logistical concern. Obviously, it's not optimal for you to be having to move as frequently as you are. Like we can make very valid logistical arguments for why that is not optimal. And what I'm more interested in is getting you to a point where you could actually sit with the idea of what if I couldn't solve that? What if I, like, what if you knew that you were going to have to do this for six more months before you found stable ground? My initial expectation based on the way you've been describing it is that would be extremely frustrating for you to hear. And it seems like the way you're trying to design this path is I'm done. Like, this is interesting. I did this, I did this in personal therapy, actually. This was a, it wasn't a logistical thing, but it was a psychological mode that I went through where I was doing a lot of this compassionate work and I was analyzing a lot of it. And then I came into therapy one day and I was like, yo, I'm done analyzing compassion. I'm just done. And it seemed to be an upgrade and maybe it was, but it left the door open for my therapist to say, do you see how that in itself is an overcompensation and still a defense mechanism for something you haven't dealt with deeply and and accepted and i was like damn that's a that's a fucking good hook like i didn't see what i was i didn't see the level of stress the extra level of stress i was causing myself by needing to be done with analysis so if i relate that to your example i do think we need to find stable ground and i think it would be helpful potentially if we could relax the urgency around doing it because I think the urgency might actually lead to distortional overcompensation that causes us to have poor judgment in our options. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not saying we don't need to find stable ground. I do think it is the best logistical solution. I want to do it from a place that honors the possibility that it's not time yet for you to be stable because maybe there are more, maybe the timing just isn't going to allow it. And if the timing doesn't allow it, Maybe we can get maximal value, maximum value out of the catalyst right in front of our face, which is the frustrating nature of life on the move and how we can sort of relax into that without needing to hold these arbitrary assumptions that it's not okay. So let's start there. Why why is it not okay for you to continue to move around? It's clearly not optimal from the poker landscape of changing internet and getting set up and the routine but it's not impossible by any means it's not the thing that's standing in the way of you sticking the landing on higher stakes um not not in itself i wouldn't say uh i agree actually i don't really think the issue of the the lack of okay so you you phrase it perfectly like moving around is not optimal but it's not so much of an issue that that would be holding me back on it in and of itself and it's not the moving around so much that is the destructive part it is that it's my association with being in my hometown under the control of my parents as 
viewing that as rock bottom and it's like I'm boomeranging back and forth, not moving around, going to country by country, living independently on my own dime uh, and just dealing with like some of the logistical stress with moving and sorting out internet. It's moving away from my home environment into a better environment and having to move back there which i associate with moving backwards in progression awesome so the core association that is putting unnecessary stress on your situation is the the feeling or belief that every month it's like you have to take a step backwards knowing that i don't have enough money in the bank to basically like just move out for good and knowing that there's that stress of in a, in a week's time, I'm going to have to go back to my parents and then I'm going to be back at square one back in January after. The right. And, trip, but you know? That's where I want your focus, that part, because not having enough money in the bank is not actually the belief causing distortion. That is a trail that leads to back at my house at square one. So not having enough money in the bank leads to the core resistant situation of being back at home and the association of that being back at square one and feeling trapped. Maybe, I don't know what words right. you would want to apply there, but I understand that. Like I understand that not having money isn't the core issue. It's not wanting to be back at home, but money is the key to getting out of there. Right. Um, and what I'm it's trying also to do knowing, is it's also knowing how futile, like an alternative for maybe some people would be if their home situation wasn't like fucked up enough to repair the home situation and get it to a point where it's livable uh, and make that situation comfortable. Uh, like it would require far too much time and therapy, not just on my behalf, but on like my parents' behalf as well like too much counseling to like yeah i'm pretty sure we're past that yeah like it's not happening so all i'm trying to do with what i'm framing this with the way that i'm framing this is to uh clarify the order of the belief work because if we didn't have an issue with moving around so much i think we would actually have more money by now in other words my my prophecy <laughs> would be that the constant threat that you're under of knowing that you have a limited amount of time in each new place is actually causing some unconscious distortion that you're not aware of and some logistical distortion too. They go sort of hand in hand, I would say, but it's not all logistical and it's not all stress coming from belief systems they're actually energizing each other and what i want to do is get controllable factors on the table and if it turns out that we are going to have to keep moving around for the next few months we at least alleviate as much of the associated stress by associated i mean like this feeling of always this feeling of having to get up and leave uh, and maybe even go back home to the parents house as taking a step backwards yeah. I don't want you at your parents' house. I think we should be able to find another option where you're not there. But it seems like 
you don't want to be moving around constantly, even if it's away from your parents. And I guess what I'm saying is what if that is going to have to be what the next three to six months looks like? Let's I get okay with if, that. Like, I just want to say, I, I don't like if that's going to be my reality and I have to accept that. I don't mind that. I don't mind having to move around. I, I don't. So specifically okay. moving back home is what it, sucks. It, yeah. That's the only part that sucks or the, either the fear of that being a possibility, but not so much because every time since I had to move back from Cheltenham when coronavirus hit, which I obviously couldn't have predicted, um, you know, when I was, I was in Greece and now that I'm here, it's it's less so a paranoid fear that I'm moving back home and, and it's more a, I'm on a time limit and I will be moving back at some point. Unless I went on like the world's biggest heater while I was in while I was in Greece, made it to like 500 ml and had like eight, like 9k in the bank, then we wouldn't have this problem. But like that, that would be too just unlikely. Um, it hasn't happened, so there's no point talking about it. I mean, there's a few different ways we could go with the conversation. One would be a very uncomfortable assessment of, let me just think for a second, because I don't want to. I don't want to focus on issues that don't help. And I do think there are other patterns going on that potentially caused you to underperform in Greece in ways that you weren't aware of, not at the poker tables, but let's just fucking throw it out there. I'm okay with however you react to this. So just give me your most honest reaction and know that it's safe if this triggers you, because if it, whatever you react, however you react to this, it's going to lead us to a thread that actually heals what the fuck is going on a little bit more. So just know that whatever emotions arise for you when I say this, it's safe and we're here for positive reasons. What are the chances that a more logistically and emotionally equipped human being could have found another alternative while in Greece other than moving back home while they were in Greece? What's your first reaction to that? Or what, is, what does it feel like the probability is of that in your mind, that you did everything that you possibly could have to avoid having to go back home once you got the news that you only had three or four weeks in Greece? I really don't know, honestly. Uh, like you don't know what the probability was that there was more potential, you mean? Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is like a big question mark there. Like I don't really know what I could have done more, but I don't know what I don't know even. I'm trying to think of now I'm, I'm i guess like the only blind spot i had was i just sort of accepted my fate and moved back and didn't really consider the idea of staying there for longer uh not necessarily in greece but any other alternative how much of a hunt was there for alternatives to going back home you say like you accept well, your fate in my mind there was only one alternative, which was like rent my own apartment in Greece or another country, likely one of the neighboring Eastern European countries where rent is likely cheaper, which would have been a bit of a logistical problem. I would have ended up being in an EU country for longer than three months. I would have had to apply for visas, etc. But the issue that I couldn't get over was I would still need more money than 
I had to be able to do that without a dangerously high risk of ruin. Okay, so it sounds like you've picked an option that can't work because you don't have enough money yet. What about all the other potential? And, and you, I'm, I'm guessing your mind is going to say there are none, but how much attention was paid to sending out flares to the, the entirety of your network again, round two style, because timing had shifted and seeing if there was anywhere you could slide in. Was that a, a portion of the process or was it more, I've accepted my fate. I don't want to be a burden on anybody that I've already asked before. I'm going back home. I think you're vastly overestimating the like, scope of my network. Maybe. Or are you underestimating it because you don't want to ask certain people? I really don't have that many friends. As blunt as that sounds. Well, there's 50 people on the team. 30 of them live in Europe. How many of them did you ask for help? Not to live with, but just like, have there been conversations? And I'm being, I'm going down this path because like, this is actually the core, I think, of what keeps you stuck at home is a lack of resourcefulness around actually pulling triggers in directions that are very uncomfortable. Because you okay. don't have money, right? Like you, you clearly are not in a place where you have the money to get rent somewhere. Yeah. So the only logical solution here is we come up with uncomfortable routes that request favors. I and, did have a conversation with Dimitri about possible options and that was it. I guess that's not really much. That's only one person on the team, but... He would be the best one, though, because he is where you were at. Yeah. I don't want to harp on this, and I do think it's actually at the core of your pattern, is that if I put a gun to your head, you would have found another place to go besides your parents' house. There isn't that existential incentive. And I think the most honest thing we can do together in this call is admit that that's true that you currently do not have enough incentive to find alternatives because i don't believe that you i don't believe you would die i don't i don't believe that you would let me pull that trigger as opposed to finding another alternative to going back I, home you like, see what i'm saying I, if you put a gun to my head right now i'd probably just panic because I, I, I don't actually know what would be an alternative in that if you teleported me a month, a month into the past when I was still in Greece and I, was, I knew I was only going to be there for a, a week and a half more. I don't know what I could have possibly done. Do you know anybody who has this resourceful skill set where you always wonder how they land on their feet when they don't seem to have any money. I asked that because it's a route we could go down that makes it more visceral. Cause I remember friends that always didn't have any money, but they always seem to be on the couch, not at my place, but just all over the place. If that doesn't light up at you, we can go down a different direction. I'm not saying that's a noble character to strive to. I'm saying it's, that's what resourcefulness is when you have no better option, no better option. 
So I'm trying to, trying to expose a pattern that has kept you rationalizing for, for what you say is accepting my fate. And the reason that's getting a bit more abrasive is because you are going through cycles of moving out, moving back in without seeming to have consciousness or awareness over how okay, not, not that you're okay. This is what's so sick. Like this is the, the sick psychology of it. I know you're not okay with moving back home, but you must be more okay with it than getting uncomfortable in the direction of finding other options. And in your mind, I get how all those doors seem closed. This is what distortion does. And it says, I don't have, I don't have friends. You underestimate how many friends I have victim statement. I get it that you want that to be validated. It makes it easier for you. If I validate that sentence, well, well now what am I supposed to feel bad for you? Aria that you're fucking 23 and you have three friends. That's not even true, bro. I know that's not true because there's 50 guys on the team that know you to some extent, 10 of which you probably have solid relationships with. I'm not saying those are guys that you can move in with, but I'm not buying the sob story basically. And I like this combo. I love you so much, dude. And this is like giving me a chance to fucking like actually spank your ass a little bit from a friendly perspective of like, you got, you got more to give in this, in this dilemma. So like from my perspective, there is a lot more you could do while, while you are in any one apartment other than accept the fate of going back home. We just have to figure out what that looks like because you're in your mind, these doors are closed. It's like, I get you're dealing with the grinding pressure. I get that you're dealing with the logistical, trying to lock in the logistical schedule. And if there isn't priority put on finding a new place to live, we're always going to end up back home unless we stick the landing with an unreasonable amount of buy-ins, one like you said, et cetera. So what would it look like if you did know what to do? I love this question. Let's pretend we're back in Greece with uh, no real option. Okay. Doesn't, doesn't seem like we have doors that are open. What would it look like for someone who did know what to do? And you can say, well, that somebody might, would just have more friends that he could ask. Uh, yeah, I don't think that, that would be it. It would probably be someone who has the have a much better ability than me to just check their ego at the door and just basically brute force and go down a list of like every single person in, in, in detox and a list of like every single close friend and then failing that acquaintance and just asking for any type of support. What's the resistance that comes in there immediately when you think about going back through your Rolodex. Like if you had to designate four hours in Greece to reiterate that whole process of going back through the Rolodex and asking those, is there a lot of resistance to that? Yeah, I know where this is coming from because there's not a lot of, there's not much resistance from that, from the guys in detox. I just feel like it would be fairly unreasonable to expect anyone from detox to be able to host me um there's a massive amount of resistance to doing that with anyone that i know in real life because it would damage my identity all right cool 
So it's it's embarrassing or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's not even embarrassing. I don't talk about how much money I make or don't make. People just know that, oh, I'm, I play poker and I make an unknown amount of money and I know nothing about what he does. And that would kind of shatter the perception that people have of me. And it would, well, you know, you know how it is. That's just very ego driven. And it's a fear of embarrassment. And it's, it's why I romanticize the idea of, well, it's also partly the reason why when I moved to Cheltenham back in February, I didn't tell anyone in my hometown. I didn't literally didn't tell a single friend. I just one day went and cut myself off entirely from my whole family and friends and just did my own independent thing in, while I was in Cheltenham. Planning to cut them off permanently as well. Like, I know that's not a healthy thing, but... How much were you going out in Greece? Or I guess my more direct question would be, was there any attention at all put on networking in Greece? I guess I'll, I'll simplify this thread. Resourceful people make friends fast in the new city that they're in. It's not that hard to make friends as a tourist. Everybody loves the tourist because you're the unicorn. I mean, you could argue that people don't like people from UK. You guys do some pretty annoying <laughs> shit. But um, just the drunkenness that I hear as my tourist stories. Everybody hates people from UK when they travel. Sure. But um, you know what I mean. Like There was that avenue. There was, there was more that we could have potentially done with networking while in Greece. Now, I'm going to give you one that I'm going to hold you accountable to. And I'm going to step in because I know you've been trying really hard. And I want to help provide a solution. But you got to have some skin in the game. How about to ask, not necessarily to live with any of the players on the team, but we open it up to detox. I'll upload this call. They can listen to the plight that you're in. And the, the ask is designed creatively to offer value. And this is my resourceful mind thinking. You give a percentage of your profit splits away up to a certain amount for the next three to six months or toward a certain profit goal to anyone on the team that can help hook you up with a room. So now you're giving people incentive to extend to their network and saying, yeah, I got a poker buddy. I can vouch for him. He's part of our community. He's been with us a while. I've met him in Malaga. Even uh, he's trustworthy. What can you do? Does anybody have a room? Throw these flares out. May you have to give up some of your future profits to do this? Yes. Is it a better option rather than moving back to your parents' house and being at ground zero and probably going bust? Absolutely. Okay. I I learned something very valuable from what you just said, and that is a resourceful person has a much more powerful network because they're not just leveraging their own network. They're leveraging the network of the people. They're leveraging every other network that is connected to them secondhand by people that are directly in their network. It's even more direct than that though. A resourceful person is resourceful because they find a way to offer value. Huh. Okay. And, and leveraging somebody else's network is a, is an extension of that skill set. So you were saying that earlier I was in a victim mindset and that, you're playing small with your resources. That was, I, that was an assumption that I was making that I don't have value to offer. And so I am not resourceful. 
Right. So all I did was I expanded the scope of your resources to implied territory. <laughs> okay. I said, okay, we're, you're doing the poker thing. All you need is a little more time. So let's leverage, let's leverage against time. You can't pay anybody anything right now, but you need a, a room. You need an opportunity to live somewhere. So let's use your future implies as a poker player, which will come to fruition if you can establish said room or apartment. And that's how we're going to be able to offer value. You can have a piece of my future profits if you can help me out, get, just get set up anywhere in Europe. I think this is the path. I don't know if, I don't know how it could fail with how good our community is, especially now that you're offering value. It requires that you're comfortable potentially moving in somewhere where you don't know your roommates or where you don't necessarily like the city, but I don't think that's something that you really have a luxury to prefer right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was also going to bring up, I was going to bring up the fact that I spoke to Giga, as you know, Jan, Giga and Larry were, going to be organizing moving into the detox grindhouse i talked to giga about possibly joining them he said i'll talk to jan and larry and jan said yes however because of corona that is sort of um that's been like indefinitely paused which is sort of a shame uh you've had a lot of bad beats i'll give you that Fuck it. Yeah, but no one likes someone who just complains about bad beats, you know? <laughs> well, it's um, just not effective. Yeah. That's all. It's not really about a judgment of, of it being cool or not cool to complain. It's just like you're not going to be effective in that in that mindset. Yeah. And you um, certainly aren't going to be able to contribute. Sure. Yeah, if I had some sort of timeline on, on, on when that was actually going to ha- happen, that would really help but as it seems it's that that just seems really unlikely to even put a timeline on on something that whole world doesn't even really know like let's just have zero expectations on that for the time being so that we can only Um, be pleasantly surprised okay how much time do you have at in leicester where you are right now less than a week okay oh yeah around a week and worst case scenario, you have to go back to the parents' house for a week? Or not a week, but like in a week, you'll have to go back to the parents' house until you secure other housing? Yeah. You can go back home, though. So we're not homeless, right? Yeah. All right, cool. I will never be, I will never be truly homeless, and maybe that is the issue, that there will always be the, the sort of uh, the, the safety blanket of having the option to move back into my parents. So I guess like the only way to like simulate that gun to the head thing would be to intentionally like destroy my relationship with my parents so badly that that wouldn't be an option. And maybe I could (laughs) get myself out of that hole. But like, I don't think anyone, me included, could ever like voluntarily put our hands up and say that self-destruction is going to be the key to success. Okay, here's what I think is a incentivized proposal and you can tweak this but this is just what feels good to me so i'm i'm just gonna sort of uh spitball this okay you offer 10 percent of your personal profit split share from the first twenty five thousand dollars that you 
are able to cash out to anybody who can put you up somewhere for like a even a one month period and we can play with it if they put you up for longer they're entitled to more of that piece of the pie if three different guys end up putting you up for in a different place for three separate months until you get on your feet they split that pie but it feels like a good incentive to me to put a, a profit number on the a percentage that you're going to pay from future profits towards whoever is going to be able to hook you up and then prorate it so that the people who who gave you apartments for a larger piece of the pie get a larger piece of the pie something like this and you can you can play with it but i would like to get that statement out like in the next 24 hours so people can start looking for you because time is essential okay what do you feel like this seems like the best opportunity to oh there is one other opportunity uh, there is one other possibility which is i have the option to move back to cheltenham or i guess another uk city of my choosing and do what i did back in february which is get a part-time job the reason why this option actually kind of worries me in the current climate is i don't know about other countries but in the uk specifically certain cities are going on a random immediate quarantine and lockdown where businesses have been starting to open restaurants are open cafes are open now but certain cities if they have a spike in in infection rates get shut down immediately and if that were to happen with no notice and I would to move to a city and then two weeks later just lose my job that would just be devastating yeah I would like to not have you have a part-time job here only because you've you've shown from Greece and with your time just recently leveling up your studies that you can perform when you're in a secure location. Yeah. And so I would, I would think it's almost a step backwards for if it's not absolutely mandatory, if you can be creative enough to find a way to offer value to get around having to get a part-time job, I think it could be a cool alternative and it's never we've never had to think about it like this but i think this is a great opportunity to set precedent for guys in your situation in the future to be like hey like you don't have any money and you don't want to live at home anymore why don't you establish some degree of confidence with previous performance in the form of like data that you can show that you're a good bet and then with the relationships that you've leveraged through the through the detox community and whoever else is just interested in investing in you create a cool proposal and have it sacrifice more upfront than feels reasonable to you because it does suck that you're going to have to give up more of your profits to be able to secure this for yourself. But is what it is, bro. It's this or bust the way I see it. It's this or purgatory because the, the, the home life doesn't map to happiness. There's just no two ways about it at this point. Yeah. I'm very, very clear on that being true. So there's a couple options. Like the one that I said is one way of doing it. Another way of doing it, which would be fail safe, would be, hey guys, I have X money. I've realized I need 3K to be able to set up 
sustainably. If you would be willing to invest any amount of money, I would put it in a pool and you could have a portion of my future profits proportional to the amount that you invested in this 3K pool. That's another option. That would allow you not even to need a handout. That would allow you just to get a place on your own dime by leveraging um, your implied value to the team. I have a question. Yeah. If you agree that I have enough of a track record from my performance in Cheltenham and Greece that I can perform well in a good environment, would you on behalf of Detox be willing to front that and I provide like you get a you I pay you back with my profits with interest no and only because I have to worry about an additional dimension of precedence which is what what do you mean precedence would be if I give it to you now I expose the company to an obligation if we want to remain fair to give it to every player who's demonstrated some sort of and that actually would put a, a level of financial liability on the company that I don't want to take on. I'll throw 200 towards the pool though. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I have to look at it from the perspective of if everybody asked me what you just asked me, would it be fair? These are the, mm-hmm. these are the optical dimensions of, of this side of, of things. So no, I can't do that. Okay. And, and I don't think that's going to be necessary. And that's also your easiest option, which is why you prefer it. Cause you already know, <laughs> that I'm not going to reject. Like I just rejected your ask, but not because I don't want to give it to you. I yeah. rejected it on policy, but like you, what you're trying to get over here is like, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but like, it's a deep rooted fear that, that when you reach out to connect and yeah, when you reach out to try to connect on a human level that you're going to face rejection. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, I can't say I haven't dealt with that problem before in my life. So I think it's a great challenge to do it like this. I feel like I prefer the second option rather than the first because it would just be a lot... There would be much less fine print to deal with in terms of what would be a fair amount of profit to give if somebody hosts me and multiple I think it is simple. Yeah, and so maybe if I just see if I can pull together money from people who are willing to invest in me, and then fuck, it just, I just I really don't like being a charity case. Which is, I mean, I'm kind of it's a stupid way to frame it because I'm I'm it's not a charity case. I'm offering value by a return on investment. Yeah, keep going. So why do you frame it like that? Because it is optional. The framing is hot. <laughs> because it makes me... <laughs> Sorry, this, this is so interesting to me. Like, I love this more than I love anything, dude. Like, just investigating how, why, you, why you choose these frames. This is what life is all about to me. It's like, goddamn, like, I remember what it's like to feel like you have no choice. And all I stand for at this stage in terms of like my passion for mindset work is like, being there in the moment where somebody wakes up out of a frame and, and actually sees that it's optional, but you don't seem to see that right now. So 
I love this call. Let's keep going. Well, I, I literally just said it that if I framed it as not wanting to be a charity case, but it isn't actually, well, I shouldn't be framing it as a charity case because it's actually correct to frame it as an investment because people are like putting feed money towards me and I'm going, I'm offering a return on investment with a certain percentage chance of risk, no different than any other investment. But what is the emotional fear that causes you to choose the frame of, I don't want to be a charity case. Cause that is the frame that allows you not to ask. Exactly. If I frame it as I don't want to be a charity case, then I won't ask. And the fear really that I'm trying to avoid is if I do ask and people go, why has Ari been on the team for almost two years and still hasn't performed? I'm not going to invest in him. And I'm basically trying to, I'm trying to avoid rejection of actually putting myself out openly and honestly and facing rejection. Do you, uh, would, okay, here, here's the, the million dollar question. I learned this from the Solve for Why guys. They love this question. Would you stake yourself here? Would you invest in your own pool here? Yes, but I'm dealing with the information of my life perfectly, whereas other people are dealing with imperfect information about my life. So, so they've what, only seen f- certain facets of my life. So what is the facet of your development that would need to be on display for you to feel like you were getting a fair depiction um, of your current implied value? <laughs> uh, I don't know, like a part of me that shows that I'm an honest character and that I don't have a history of like theft. So honesty? Not that I don't think I haven't demonstrated honesty. I don't just don't really think like I've like do, had do much you, of an opportunity to demonstrate that. But we're talking about what you know that they don't, and you're saying you know that that would be a non-issue. The theft department. Now talk to me about the edge department. What do you know that they don't know that your graphs aren't going to show? Because if Marinelli <coughs> posted this tomorrow and said, "Who wants a piece?" and he posts a four hundred thousand dollar graph pretty sure he's getting investments so let's talk about the technical side what do they not know about your current implied value as a player my sample size of performing well in a good environment is small enough that i could see some people having doubt around whether i could actually perform is that doubt reasonable well i'm operating with the stores of mindset well what is the sample size that we're going to be able to show them that says that there's any reason to believe that you can do this i don't really care about like anything less than the last six months so like everything before 2020 i don't even care about like what does 2020 look like so far does it look like shit or does it look at all like it doesn't have any potential. And then I think the other aspect of it is I know the breakout month you had in Greece and how big that was for you and how the logistical shift of being free from the, the parents' house allowed you to get 
to catch your stride. Like I saw that unfold because yeah. we were working, we were working together personally during that time. And the other uh, executives saw that, but yeah. the team didn't see that necessarily. Um, I had quite a few people actually reach out from, to me, maybe like five or six people, like personally uh, in DMs, like congratulating me on like getting to grief and for my like results that I that I managed to produce in that like one that like five six week period. All right, let's do it like this, just because I think it's going to be the the most open-ended and therefore the most balanced. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm casting this as an obligation on the team to help you because ultimately it's something that you need to convince them of with a creative and accurate frame. Okay. I guess what I'll say is I think this could be a very cool addition to company structure for players who end up, going through life situations that were unexpected. I mean, you've been with us from an earlier time where we didn't really have as strict requirements on vetting people's financial security, which we sort of do now. At the same time, I still would take a kid who was living at home because he doesn't have any expenses. Your situation is unique because your home, your home life devolved on contract um, and it created some urgency. So all I'm saying is I think there is a cool opportunity here to potentially have a player whose situation has financially devolved prove himself worthy of investment to a team that operates as a brotherhood on all other fronts. Now, this is not an obligation for us to give you a handout. It's an opportunity for you to be able to sort of present your, your financial implied worth and give the rest of the team a chance to make a little extra dough and contribute to somebody they care about. That's a win-win. Now, your job is to find the right frame that doesn't pinch the graph at the point where it makes it look like you're a winner and you're not. If you don't actually have a graph that looks like at all promising that you could be a winning player, well, then you need a fucking really creative frame. I can... <laughs> Uh, I can show you my graph of the year. Don't show me. Let me upload the video. If you don't mind, I'm going to put it in main chat, and I'm going to I'm going to say something just very short, similar to what I said here. That I'm not asking for anything except for you guys to watch this video. And tomorrow you can post your proposal with whatever you want to say about hmm. your graph and your frame. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. 
Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Nick, so what stood out to you from this conversation related to how Arya was seeing his options and how a resourceful person would see their options? The simplest way to put it would just be that he was limiting them unnecessarily, limiting his options because he was uncomfortable asking for help didn't want to be seen as a burden or a charity case. And so that caused a rationalization that I just don't have enough friends. And that was the first really difficult point of the conversation because I had to decide whether or not I was going to call him out on that. It's a difficult thing. It's like a, you know, it's a tender thing, but it wasn't even true. So I felt okay about like exposing it. It's like, dude, you have, you're on a team where, I know my team's community is super positive and super charged with, with compassion to begin with. We uphold that standard like vehemently as vehemently as we can without overstepping the boundary, I would hope. But um, for him to say that as a member of this team really exposed to me that he's not letting, he's not letting the love in at all into his life. Like there's, there's people who you have not, asked or have not asked in a resourceful enough way which is another thing that we could talk about that's important but like what we came to was a very creative ask you know not just like a desperate ask but like how first of all do i deserve this opportunity from someone who would be willing to help and how can i prove that i deserve that opportunity with tangible facts and then how do i ask in a in a way that doesn't come off as entitled and that is actually vulnerable because that's important. I, I want to add something here because I, I relate to Arya in a lot of ways. And one of those is my home life, my relationship with my parents is not amazing. It's not great. It, it wasn't very great growing up. And going back to detox files, number five, when you were talking about the type A performer and solving problems, basically the, the problem is not sitting with this emotion, this pain, this feeling that you're really trying to cover up. Arya coming from someone, and maybe I'm projecting, but somebody who hasn't had an amazing relationship with their parents, rejection is a very hard thing to deal with. And oftentimes in life, what I've done is try to limit 
that feeling of rejection by not putting myself out there because I never dealt with the emotional consequences of feeling rejected by my parents. And it's just a, it's a very powerful thing that happens subconsciously without us really realizing what's happening. And Aria, in my opinion, could just be trying to avoid the pain of feeling rejected from folks that he admires, folks that he respects, and also limiting his resourcefulness in the process. Well, yeah, one follows the other. And I do think he saw this at some point during the consult. Like, there was definitely an acknowledgement on, on his behalf that allowed us to actually start to introduce a possible solution. He saw that like he was doing this because he doesn't want to face the rejection of it. And so, yeah, he was definitely operating from a defense mechanism that caused him to behave in a, a very permissive type way, I guess. And by permissive, I mean like he wasn't even asking yet. The pain of rejection, the pain of rejection was more than the joy of getting out of his situation. Perfectly said. He did not have enough emotional leverage yet to ask. So what ended up happening? So as we left this call off, he was going to create that proposal. I was going to upload the call to the main chat of the team. And I did what I said. I asked them in the way that I outlined how I would ask for them to just listen to the call, read his proposal. And if they thought this was a profitable investment to just help one of our brothers out. And I, I even said like, I don't even care if you guys don't want to help Aria. I want this to become a typical pattern that is a possibility for players on our team to try out if they need help. I want future players to be able to know that this is an option and that this is a community where we can be asking regularly. And these aren't desperate asks again that, you know, let's put some creativity around it and make sure that there's actual value to be, to be offered. So I frame it like that. And I was talking to, to Ari on the side through uh, private chat because I wanted to post these two things at the same time. I wanted to post the video and then have him post his proposal immediately after. So he's getting this set up with me on the side. And I remember he showed me his proposal at first and he was like, he wanted $4,000 for this package. That would have been the amount that would allow him to move out on his own. And one of his stipulations was something like, Uh, a minimum of $500 investment if you want to buy a piece of the package. Everything else looked good, but that part to me was just like, I had to say to him, listen, back to just networking optics, you're not in a position where you have the luxury to declare the minimum amount that somebody wants to invest in you. So I told him lower it to 200 as a minimum piece. And uh, he does, and he posts his proposal right below immediately after I post the link to the consult so people can listen. One minute goes by after the posts were made, and he messages me saying, one of the players just bought my entire package, all $4,000. And I sat there and I said, well, that, damn, that's a profound company moment, and I hope it's a profound insight. I think I, I said to him, I hope this shows you how much you underestimate your potential. Yeah, for sure. 
most things in life I have learned that seem daunting, difficult, impossible have been much easier when I have actually tried it and gotten out of my own way and dealt with the fear of just executing and trying and seeing how it turns out. So thank you. Thank you for this call with Arya, Nick. I loved it. It resonated with me in many, many ways. And I appreciate your time and your energy. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And I, I really hope this inspires someone listening who's been waiting to ask and, and probably overthinking it to just put something on paper and put it out there to your entire network because you never know. You never know until you try. You, you never know. And you're probably undervaluing yourself, assuming you can actually put a decent proposal together that can express why you might be a good bet or even forget money for like, how about why you might be a good friend, why you might be someone who is beneficial to be around on a more regular basis. Cause this doesn't have to be about asking for a loan. This can be about offering your time in a compassionate way that, that brings value or, or efficiency efficiency to somebody else who already has a developing project. If you get creative with this, you're going to find entry points where you can really, step into your potential by offering services to people that are in need of them, but there just aren't enough vulnerable people asking. There's people who are asking from a place. Uh, this is, this is actually a really important thing that I, I think needs to be included. You got to ask from a truly vulnerable place because the defense mechanism of fearing rejection can either manifest as not asking at all or asking in this this asking in a weirdly entitled way that tries to make it look like you have more resources than you do. That's a mistake. Don't go around trying to front like you're some blue chip prodigy that somebody would be lucky to be able to pick up as a draft when really you don't have that much to offer. You just have this truthfully honest resource that you can offer. It's a bad look. To, to overcompensate on the ask. And it's almost as ineffective as not asking at all. Well, it's could easily be self-sabotage as well. It could be saying, Hey, Nick, my minimum is 500. Nobody buys it. I told you nobody would buy it. I told you that I was going to get rejected. It's a exactly. confirmation of their own fears. And it manifests in these really subtle ways that wouldn't be seen as wanting Yes. To, to fail. But like, really, it's not that anybody truly wants to fail. It's that, like you said, there is such a fear of rejection that will rationalize for these. We need an out. We need, we need, we need a reason for why somebody rejects us. And maybe that reason is we just ask in a weird way. And then they say no. And we're like, Phew, okay. That's know. exactly it. At least they didn't reject me personally. Yep. They rejected the, the weird ask. At least I can say I didn't get the opportunity that I didn't want to get in the first place. Didn't really want to get, didn't really want to end up in that place of vulnerability where I might actually have to put my potential on the line. Anyway, this is a really meta topic that we could probably do an entire episode on, but I hope that we're sort of scratching the surface of this and giving people something to think about because a lot of this is a process of just self-inquiry and like, you know, why haven't I been asking or why have I been behaving 
in weird ways when I do decide to muster up the courage to ask, why can't I just honestly say where I'm struggling and where I could potentially be offering other people value? And why can't I just leave it at that? Well, for the record, it doesn't always have to come from someone who has not much to give because I can still spot the same patterns of behavior in other folks. And the one that really comes to mind, I wrote a blog post on it was Phil Galfond and not championing run at once poker as, as well as he could his project, not promoting it, not saying that it's better than GG. It's better than party. It's better than stars play here because these guys don't didn't get it right. And I got it right. Like even somebody as successful as powerful as Phil Galfond can fall into this trap. I think a great meta consideration, kind of like we ended the last one for people to really sit with is when I fear rejection on the ask, have I actually seen where that rejection comes from? If you expand your awareness around that, what you'll find every time is you are being rejected by a person who uses judgment as their own defense mechanism because they feel threatened by something they have not resolved yet. And if you can see it from that level that you're only being rejected by people who feel equally threatened, then we can end this cycle of abuse where we reject each other and never give each other the benefit of the doubt what comes from that is you seeing that compassion is the only incentivized response. You ask and you don't get caught up in the rejection as if that person has some power over you and just declared that you're unworthy. What you see is that that person who harshly rejected me, if they do choose to do so in a mean way is actually dealing with similar issues of fear. And I can, if I can fly above that energy with compassion and continue to ask on, So there are ways to get above the clouds of this type of defeated uh, success barrier. And as usual, I think with the theme of this entire catalog, it requires more compassion, not less. And more vulnerability as well. If you look at two pictures, just basic psychology, one, somebody angry, another, somebody crying, who's vulnerable, you automatically have more empathy and connection with the person who's crying and vulnerable. Yeah. So be honest, don't compensate. And if you do compensate, forgive yourself as soon as possible so you can get back on the horse with the next authentic ask and run through your whole network. This isn't, I said this to somebody the other day, this isn't like a lock. This is like flopping a set when you have these type of asks. I mean, this one turned out good. (laughs) You know, one minute went by. And he got what he wanted, but um, you got to run the you got to run the sim. Sometimes you got to let it iterate down to one percent, which might take a while. Yep, be an asshole. Nice. And uh, <laughs> we'll close with that. Mm-hmm.